0: So very much. Praise team. What a blessing they were today. And how true we need to always surrender to the King of King and Lord of Lords. Good to see you here. And Today we're going to be looking in the book of Luke, chapter 16, and uh, it's a great chapter here. deals with the motivation for evangelism. That's my subject this morning that we're going to speak on, the greatest motive for evangelism. Thank you. I hope you received my letter this past week about our coffee bar being closed. And we're going to close at about 9.55 and gives people a chance to get into the worship service. We, we appreciate the, the fact that pe- we want people to fellowship. We want them to enjoy coffee, enjoy their time together. But the most important reason we come to church on Sunday is get into the house of God and to hear the word of God. Amen? Amen. And we want to worship the Lord. So we want to just help you keep focus there. And thank you so much for being very receptive and, and being in the house of God today. So a couple things I want to share with you is about the motive for evangelism. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be speaking on the five purposes of the church. Why does the church exist? Is it nothing more than a social club for Christians? Is it just a gathering place for weak people to come to pump themselves up uh, over their fears and troubles? What is the purpose of the church? Now, you and I both know the word church comes from the word ecclesia, which means that we're called out of the world. We've been washed by the blood of the lamb. We've been, been saved and brought into the family of God. It is Jesus who established the church. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church is all part of God's program. The church is also the bride of Jesus Christ. There will be a day in heaven very, very soon when all the collective church, those from the past and those in the present and, Lord willing, in the future, if, if the rapture tarries, we will be gathered together in heaven. And there, the church of Jesus Christ and Christ himself, the bridegroom, will be consummated in heaven beautifully together throughout all eternity. Wonderful, beautiful picture of the church, the marriage of the church. But meanwhile, we as a church have a commission. We have a job to do. We have a work to do. And what God did is after he saved us and brought us into the church, he dispersed into every individual a gift, a spiritual gift. God wants you to use that spiritual gift. He wants you to contribute that gift. He wants you to to see the significance of the church. He wants you to be a part of it. He wants you to be a partner of the church. He wants you to serve the Lord and, and to serve him with all your heart. So there are five basic purposes of mainline purposes that God gives us in the scriptures. The first purpose that God lays out for us, that we are to love him with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, which basically means that we are to worship the Lord. The first purpose of the church is we are to worship him. We come together, we ascribe to him worth, value, uh, our appreciation, our love to him. That's what worship is, is giving glory to the one uh, that is due the glory. Secondly is evangelism. Evangelism is simply this is telling people about the good news, what Christ has done in our hearts and lives. It's basically sharing with other people who don't know about the goodness of God's great work of salvation. It's sharing them the simplicity of the message of God. Thirdly is discipleship. Jesus told us to go and make disciples. That means bringing people into the church, walking alongside of them, helping them to grow in grace, helping them to understand the basic principles of the word, helping them to grow in the word. That's discipleship. It's helping them to grow up in this, the stature and the fullness, uh, fullness of Christ. And then fourthly is ministry, that there are so many needs as the family of God. Uh, there are so many needs here at Crossroads. I look around and all of us Uh, We've been torpedoed by the devil in many areas, and we have so many areas that we can serve one another and help one another in the family of God. So, ministry, we serve one another. And then, also, the, the fifth reason for the church is that we have fellowship, that we come together and we can fellowship one with another. We can encourage one another. There's nothing more powerful than the power of presence. When you come to church, you encourage someone. When you're here and you come up and just hug someone and shake their hand and encourage them, there's nothing more powerful than just being in church and contributing your presence to the body of Christ. That is encouraging. So there are five purposes, worship, evangelism, discipleship, ministry, fellowship. All five of these are laid out beautifully in the scripture. Now, this morning, I want to look at the second purpose, and that is evangelism. The greatest motive for evangelism is found in Luke chapter 16. And I love this scripture. And uh, in verses 19 down to verse 31 is a beautiful story about a man that God gives about a rich man who dies and he enjoys everything in this world, but he has no interest in spiritual things. And he dies and goes to a place called hell. And then there is this beggar, this poor man, uh, who hasn't, doesn't have a thing in this world, but rather he has one treasurable gift, and that is he has received the Lord as a Savior, and he is carried to heaven. So we have a contrast. We have a picture of a man in hell. We have a picture of a man in heaven. And Jesus gives us this picture. He gives us this picture of the dialogue of these two people in eternity. And that's our subject matter this morning. Now, it's easy to go to extremes whenever the topic of hell comes up. Uh, it, 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 it's, you can go to one end or to the other. Either we can focus on the lurid descriptions of the damned burning in hell and eternal torment, or we can go to the other spectrum and we can avoid the topic altogether. And we can pretend like hell doesn't exist. Yesterday, we uh, we did open up to our community and we had gifts for kids. And uh, we just, um, I had a chance to, we talked to over 2,100 some people. And I heard there was more than that. But but as the people were coming in, I kept thinking of, To myself, boy, I hope every one of these precious people know Jesus Christ as Savior. Because one of the most important decisions that you'll ever make in this life is saying yes to Jesus Christ and saying yes to eternal life. Our life is nothing more than a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Every generation and earlier generations tended to stress heavy on the subject of hell. And in our culture, uh, in our culture, it's basically is very sensitive to the subject of hell. And, and they would rather not talk about it. We don't want to scare anybody. We don't want fear to be driven in the hearts of men. In fact, Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest preachers from the 1700s, in the Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, he, he, gave, he gave this description of what hell is. He says, the devil is waiting for those who are lost hell is gapping for them. The flames gather and flash around them and would lay hold on them and swallow them up. And needless to say, that kind of preaching isn't very popular today. In fact, uh, as I consider in my own heart, I find that preaching on hell has become more and more difficult. Uh, when I preach on that, I usually get a lot of anonymous letters and I get some comments of people like, you know, we don't, we appreciate your subject, matter on hell, but we'd prefer not to hear it. But the fact of the matter is i got to be faithful to him, not to the popular opinion of people. Amen. So as I consider my own heart, my goal is not to convince you of anything. My goal is to basically lay the truth out. And old southern preachers to say, you got to throw the corn in the trough and let those eat who want to eat. Now, if you don't believe in hell, I doubt if anything I say this morning will change your mind. Uh, We're told that hell is indefensible, it's obsolete, and some people believe that the preaching and the subject of hell uh, is out of touch with the modern thinking of people today. And the last point is certainly true. In a world where the very concept of truth is up for grabs, the notion of eternal hell seems fearfully outdated. But I will share this with you. The reality of hell is the greatest motivator for you and I to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I do agree that we've got to be sensitive to our culture and that we've got to find ways to say things that, so people can hear the truth without taking away the truth. But we've got to be consistent and we've got to be faithful to God's word even when it's not popular. The Bible says we've got to be faithful in season and out of season, so it's easy to say, hey, let's not talk about hell. Let's all talk about our happiness and our well-being. But if, if, if Jesus felt free to raise the topic of hell so many times in his sermons and so many times in his lessons, so should we in the church, even in the 21st century. It's interesting the world talks about hell. In fact, Fox News poll revealed that 87% of Americans say they believe in heaven while 74% say they that they believe in hell. While most Americans believe in life after death, few people believe that they're going to even end up in hell. And when George Barna, one of the the, guys out there doing Christian statistics, he surveyed Americans on this topic, and he discovered that 64% of those surveyed, they expect to go to heaven, while less than one half of 1% expect to go to hell. But there's a widespread confusion and a tremendous misconception on the subject of hell. Some unbelievers believe their bodies are buried and their souls dissolve into nothingness. In other words, when they die, lights go out, boom, you no longer exist. But they have this question that lingers in the back of their mind what if we're wrong? And with that as the background, I want to look briefly at four important biblical sobering facts about what the Bible teaches about hell. Now, I'm not interested in what theologians say or I'm not interested in what, how people interpret the Bible. I just want to know what the Bible says, don't you? I do care about what the Scriptures teach because when it's all said and done, what really matters in life is what the Bible teaches and what Christ teaches now, there are four basic thoughts I want to share with you this morning. Number one, hell is a real place. Luke 16, and 23 says this, the rich man also died, and then the Bible says, and he was buried, and then notice the next three words, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, see if Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. You're saying, well, how, how does that happen? Now, this is, uh, this is a story before Christ took those to heaven. There was a, a time that I believe the souls of men went to the center of the earth. I do believe that. There was a division between Hades, which is hell, and then there was a great gulf that separated this hell uh, from paradise. And those in hell could look over and see those uh, in paradise. And those in paradise could look over and see those in hell. And after Jesus Christ descended into the lower parts of the earth, he let captives free. In other words, he took those out of paradise and he took them up to heaven with him in heaven. And right now, I believe when a person dies who knows Christ as Savior, the Bible says absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Immediately when we die, we go to be with the Lord in the heavens. We go to be with Christ in heaven. Now, a person that does not know Christ as Savior, a person who rejects Christ altogether, the Bible says that his soul will, be, will descend into the lower parts of the earth. In fact, it's interesting. After paradise vacated and went to heaven... The Bible says that hell hath enlarged herself. In other words, the place that paradise used to occupy in the center of the earth has now become the holding place of torment for those who have rejected Christ. Hell is a real place. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and he seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, there are two thoughts regarding the reality of hell. Either it is a human opinion or it is what God reveals about hell. And the most obvious biblical fact is that Jesus Christ himself believed in a literal place called hell. If you read the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll discover through the lessons of Jesus that he spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. It is a place that God never created for a man to go. It was a place for the devil and all of the fallen angels, all of those who rebelled against the holy God. God created a place for that place of corruption to dwell. God never willed or desired any man. In fact, he made it so easy and so possible for you to go to heaven. That's why he came to to this earth. 2,000 years ago. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he paid the price of all of your sins. He stood as a great stop sign to you that he doesn't desire anyone to die and go to hell, but rather to come to him and call out upon him and trust his finished work for you. In calling upon him, he will save you and birth you into the family of God. There is only one way a man can get into the kingdom of God, and that is through the cross and through the work of Jesus Christ our Lord. Only through him, and not any other denomination or any other quack. Amen? Amen. Only through Christ. And then add to the fact that the apostles who also are a part of the major framework of the church, believed in a place, a literal place called hell. The Christian church down through the centuries have believed in hell. And this is one of those rare points on which even Catholics, Protestants, Orthodox, and Evangelicals are all in general agreement. They have come to the place and studying the scripture that there is a literal place called hell. And the story of the rich man in Luke 16 offers our best and the clearest picture. And he gives us a window that we can look in and see the nature of hell. The story goes like this a beggar named Lazarus sat out by the gate of a rich man hoping for some scraps from his table. And the Bible says this guy was so poor and he suffered so greatly that the dogs would even come and lick his his sores and his wounds. And, and when he died, the angels carried him into Abraham's bosom, which is a Jewish expression for paradise in the center of the earth. And the rich man died, and the Bible says he went to this place called hell. It is a place of torment. And even though his body was buried... The Bible says the rich man's soul still existed and somehow maintained sensory perception. In the flames of hell, he saw Abraham and Lazarus far away, and he cries and he prays. And isn't it, isn't it amazing that people who die go to hell all of a sudden begin to believe in this thing called prayer? And then he cries out to father Abraham. He says, have mercy on me. And by the way, send Lazarus. And this always grabbed me. He says that he might dip the tip of his finger in water, that it might cool my tongue because I am tormented in this flame. Now, some would say, could he bring me a glass of Ice water with that 16 ounce big gulper. Can he bring me? The Bible says that he was in such torment. Would he just dip the tip of his finger in water and just let a drop of that water fall on my parched mouth that it might cool me from this flame? And Abraham says, I'm sorry that prayer cannot be answered because nobody in heaven can cross over to hell, and no one in hell can cross over to heaven. Eternal destinies are fixed at the moment of death and cannot be changed, nor can the situation in hell can ever be alleviated. Evangelism ought to be our greatest motivator So what do we learn when we read the first portion of this scripture? What do we learn about life after death and the situation of those who die and go to hell? First of all, the Bible tells us that the dead still live on. You were created in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit. And the body will die, but the soul and spirit live on forever. The dead retain their personalities and their essential character. secondly. And then thirdly, death marks the final separation between the saved and the lost. Fourth, hell is a place of personal suffering. And fifth, the damned cry for help that never comes. And then a second point I want you to look at this morning, and that is hell is forever. Hell is forever. In fact, Luke 16, 26 says this, there is a great chasm or a great ravine separating us. And no one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. In recent years, there's been a great debate on this topic in evangelical circles, and some professors and and scholars that I used to read, and they've now turned to the belief in annihilation, the view that at some point that after death, that the, the unsaved are incinerated as soon as they hit the flames of hell and they cease to exist. In fact, there was one guy, I used to read all the time, and, and he changed his view. He believed that, that a person that is lost, that once they go to hell, they are, boom, they, they are incinerated. They no longer exist and everything. They're t- totally obliterated. And I thought to myself, wow, I wish that was true, because that would sure make preaching a whole lot easier. And you know, it just made me, as a young preacher, dig even deeper into the Scripture And I still have to come back to the fact that the only reliable source about the true nature of hell is the word of God. And I go, and I I did a word study for myself, and I, I did a study associated with everything in hell itself, and I found words like smoke and fire and burning and torment, bottomless pit, everlasting prison, wrath, reaping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, unquenchable fire, eternal fire, the second death, damnation, furnace of fire, blackness and darkness and burning sulfur. And man, after I got through reading all of that, those images and symbols do not sound like annihilation to me. And my friends, let me tell you something. If someone tries to indoctrinate you without the word of God, run as far as you can because that's not truth. The church's final rule in practice has always been the bedrock truths of God's word and we should never run from that. In Mark chapter 9, verse 47 and 48, this is what Jesus gives a description of hell. This is what Jesus taught. He says, if your eye offends you, if your eye keeps you in the sinful path, Jesus says, pluck your eye out. Because it's better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. And then he says this, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Now, the concept of worm of a worm comes from the burning trash dumps called Gehenna. The Jewish people understood that. Outside of the city of Jerusalem, it was the garbage dump. And there was a perpetual fire. People threw their garbage out every day, and there was always smoke and burning. And, but people would notice that the worms would go in and out of the garbage, and the worms just didn't seem to be bothered by the flames. They just perpetually lived. They lived off the garbage And Jesus was giving a picture here that those who die and go to hell, the Bible says, there is no quenching. There is no annihilation. There is that perpetual suffering. Revelation 14, 9 through 11. Let me read another scripture to you. A third angel followed them, shouting, Anyone who worships the Antichrist and the beast or accepts his mark on his forehead or on his hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath, and they will be tormented. Watch this. They will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted his mark of his name. Another window. They will have no relief. Again, a tax the belief of annihilation. So when all is said and done, there there seems to be no reason to abandon the traditional view that hell is a place of eternal torment. And may I say today, this should not bring fear in your heart. This should cause you to rejoice if you're a child of God. This should cause you to rejoice that this is what God has saved you from. This is why he died on the cross, to preserve you from going to this place of eternal torment. Rejoice, O child of God, because the grace of God has been extended to you because of his furnished work on the cross. Praise be unto God for the great gift, the unspeakable gift of salvation. We rejoice and we praise him, but woe to those who turn their nose, woe to those who turn their back on the greatest gift offered to them, and that is the the gift of forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. And then thirdly, hell is necessary Luke 16, 25, it's interesting. Abraham says to the rich man, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted. He was the ultimate narcissist. He lived for himself. He lived by his own rules, he lived by his own opinion. He didn't care anything about the word of God. He didn't care anything about Sunday services. He didn't care about the pr- He didn't care about any of those things. He cared about one thing, his bank account. He cared about his IRAs. He cared about his, his retirement program. He cared about his insurance programs. He cared about his car, his mortgages. He cared about everything that he had in his own life. That was his world. He lived in the world of his own five senses. And if those five senses were satisfied, then he lived a comfortable life. He did everything he wanted to do excluding God. And there are some people, and that's what sin is, it's selfishness. Sin is wrapped up in its own self to the exclusion of God and His will. Why did God create hell in the first place? Why does hell exist? Because there is a place for those who rebel against the Almighty. There are, Hell exists for those who thumbed their nose at the greatest gift extended to them. Hell is preserved for all of those who choose to walk in their own sin, in their own rebellion, and to reject God altogether. Those who choose to follow the lie of the devil and those who follow the, the influence of a demonic world, all of those who choose to love the world more than to love Christ. God has prepared a place for them hell serves many purposes. It provides a final justice for all corruption. You see it. I see it every day. We see people that murder other people, and then they take their lives, and we think, where's the justice in that? But my friend, there is a God in heaven who sees all of the corruption in this world. He sees it all, and he'll hold all men accountable And you think that this is all the justice that will be meted out in this world. I'm here to tell you today, there's a God that sees it all and will hold it all accountable, either at the judgment seat of Christ for believers or at the great white throne where God will judge the works of men. There is a God in heaven. Look to your neighbor and says, there is a God. We read about people that shoot other people and kill and hurt children and Rape and destroy, there is a God in heaven. Hell provides a place for the final justice of all corruption. Secondly, it provides a dwelling place for the wicked, those that curse God, those that enjoy taking the name of God, the precious holy name of God, and running it through the mud. Those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit, those who blaspheme the blessed Savior, there is a place that God has prepared for those. And then thirdly, it's a final payment of sin and rebellion. Hell is a place that God protects the righteous realm of heaven. God, that's why heaven's going to be sweet because when we get to heaven, we're going to be removed from the presence of sin once and for all. And all God's people said, amen, and it, we're going to be standing in the holiness of God, the, the beauty of heaven. There's not going to be one thing that's defiled that shall enter into the kingdom of God because God will contain that wickedness. And then fifthly, it demonstrates the holiness of God. Hell is definitely necessary. Are we free to ignore what the Bible says about hell? You can sit there and say, Well, I don't believe in hell. You can say that till the cows come home. It doesn't change the fact that hell exists or doesn't exist. There's a, a theologian who said this, and I thought it was so well, well put. It says, The doctrine of hell is not medieval, it is Christ's doctrine. It's not a device of medieval priestcraft for frightening people into giving money to the church. It's Christ's deliberate judgment on sin, the imagery of the undying worm and the unquenchable fires derives not from medieval superstition, but originally from the prophet Isaiah, who Christ preached emphatically It confronts us in the oldest and least edited of the Gospels. It is explicit in many of the most familiar parables and implicit in many more. It balks far larger teaching than one realizes until one reads the Gospels through. Instead of picking out the most comfortable text, one text that makes us feel well, one cannot get rid of it without tearing the New Testament to tatters. We cannot repudiate hell without altogether repudiating Christ. Each person who reads these words must have an intelligent and informed decision about heaven and hell. And you have a right to choose. You have a, choose, you have a right to choose not to believe it. You have a right to, to choose to believe it. But what, no matter what you choose, you better make sure at all costs that you know the truth. Here are two great truths that are very profound. Number one, I deserve his punishment because my sins are great. That's a great truth. Do you agree with me on that? Secondly, I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. He took my hell and took my suffering, he took my punishment so that I could go free. And I have found out that God has done everything necessary for me to go to heaven. God has posted an enormous stop sign on the road to hell for me. And that sign is in the shape of the cross. And let me clearly say, you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to go to hell. God has provided a way of escape for you. But even God's way of escape well, do you no good unless you reach out and you take it and you receive the gift of eternal life through Christ. If you ignore it and if you say, go away another day, then chances are there's no hope for you. I have found that God doesn't have a plan B for those who reject his son, Jesus Christ. And then it, fourthly, and then I close on this thought. Luke 16, 27 and 28, the Bible says, the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. It's amazing, this rich man who cared nothing about spiritual things, this rich man who had everything, the ultimate narcissist, the guy who had everything in this life the man who was comfortable with his own rules with his own life with his own bank accounts who had everything comfortable for himself here is the last place we would think that he would get a burden for his loved ones who didn't know Christ hell would be a greater misery if he knew his five brothers would suffer in hell with him i believe there's not a father or a mother in this building today would want their child to go to a place called hell. Can you imagine the tears and the pleading prayers of the souls in hell right now who are there and who come to find out that hell is a real place and it is a necessary place and it's a place of torment and now they have awakened themselves into a nightmare that never ends and now their greatest concern is send somebody to go to my address send somebody to my home to tell them that there is a hell and they need a savior that the gospel is true and Jesus Christ is the son of God he is the king of kings and lord of glory he is the only way to salvation Send someone to my house. Someone please tell my daughter. Someone tell my grandchildren that there is a place called hell and there is a Savior who can save them and keep them from this place. I guarantee you if we could put our ear to the, to the door of hell, we would hear the pleads and the cries of loved ones begging You and I in this church age, please just don't sit in church on Sunday. Please don't be indifferent. Please be burdened and care enough to tell somebody about my children, about the gospel of Christ. Adding to their hopelessness and despair. I'm sure they would pr- pr- cry out to God, God, would you let me out of hell for at least five minutes? Would you let me come back from the dead? And would you let me just go and warn my children? Can, can you let me go tell my grandchildren? And can you tell my, my brothers, Lord, if you just let me go? And God says, no, it's fixed. There's a great gulf fixed between the people they love and their condemned state in hell. You see, because when you go to hell, communication is cut off forever. The condemned sinner prays for someone to witness to their loved ones, but there's no one who can go. They themselves cannot pass over. They're confined to a pit where there's no water or any kind of redemption. The decree and the counsel of God have fixed the gulf between them and their loved ones forever. And it's amazing how this rich man, who never had a thought about spiritual things, all of a sudden has become one of the most passionate prayers in the New Testament. A man who pleads for evangelism to be exercised by the church. Somehow... And Abraham says, no. And then this man, this rich man's desperate. And he says, could you send Lazarus back? I know I can't go. I know I'm condemned in this pit. But can you, Lazarus, that, that, that poor man that was out there by our gate, can you, they know he died and they, they know he was a good man. And they, they, my brothers knew that he believed in God. If you send him back from the dead, they will get scared. And then they will believe. Just send Lazarus. He's in heaven. He can go back. Send him. Please send him to my father's house. Let him warn my... Please, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Abraham says, no. It won't work. And when you read the scriptures, you think, is God doesn't care about his brothers. The fact of the matter is, sensation never has saved anyone. And Abraham nailed it. He says, they have the words of Moses. They got the words of the prophets. They all point to Jesus Christ as the only redeemer. They have the word of God. And if they do not believe the Bible, if they do not believe the scriptures, the holy truths of God, if they reject the message of of Jesus Christ, there is no other hope. And may I say today, sensation never does save. But when you come to the place, when you believe this Bible is God's word, it is God's word and hope to you when you come to believe it with everything you have within you, it is then that a man is birthed into the kingdom of God. You either believe it and trust it, or you disbelieve it and reject it fully. Your salvation experience, your eternal destination hinges on whether or not this book is the word of God or it is not. Abraham says if they reject this, there is no hope. Because my friend, I'm here to tell you today, the, there is power in the word of God there is power in the promise of God's word. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's God's word to you. That is God's promise to you. And when you can sit in the chair and you can say, I believe that book is God's word. I believe that's God, God's breath word. I put my faith and I obey the gospel. It is then, my friend, that faith is mixed with the word. And there is a new birth experience for you. I'm here to tell you today, I am saved because of this book of the Word of God. Not because someone dangled something over my head, not because someone did something hocus pocus in the name of religion. I'm here today because I put my faith in the precious promise of God's Word. Abraham warns him there's little hope if they don't have faith in God's word. But what do we see in hell? We see a rich man, used to be rich, who's burdened and concerned for a loved one, who's facing his eternal destination without Christ. Christ. Woe to the man that seeks to be entertained, thrilled, and excited with the acts of sensation instead of heeding and receiving God's word of truth that has power to save. The world looks at you and say, you're crazy to go and put faith in a book that's ancient, that's old, that's dusty, it's outdated, it's outmoded. You may call it whatever you want, but I say it's the living word of God, and it's the living word of God that saves. Your hope of eternal life rests in this Precious word. It's a foolish thing to believe that man can find his way to heaven any other way except through the blood of Jesus Christ and the supernatural promises revealed in the Holy Scripture. Evangelism. The greatest motive for evangelism really is hell. Hell is a real place, hell is forever, hell is necessary. And hell motivates men to tell others about Christ. We have loved ones. I have loved ones that need Christ. And I'm not, I'm not going to stop praying for them but I want to live my life so circumspectly. I want to live my life so consistently that when they see me living my life, honoring Jesus Christ, honoring the word of God, that when they look at me, they'll say, you know what, that man has faith in something that's real. And people are watching you, they're reading you, And how important it is for you to spread the word of God, to speak the word of God, season your conversation with the word of God. Let your spiritual life show out of your life. Be faithful to God. Serve God. Put him number one in your life. Make him the king of your life. Live it in a reality. And let your light so shine before men so they might see your great works that glorifies the Father in heaven. Let's pray.